0: Lucas on Life. Hello, and a very warm welcome to this week's Lucas on Life. I'm Jeff Lucas. And by the way, I would love to hear from you. Email me at lucasonlife at premiere.org.uk. I'd love to hear suggestions for shows, feedback on shows, what you like, what you don't like, more of what you like. Over the last few weeks, I've been especially glad that my name isn't Boris with questions being asked and fingers being pointed about that refurbishment of his Downing Street apartment. In case you haven't been interested in the tabloid tattle and the serious papers jumping in on the sniping too, there are some very real concerns. Not so much about his choice of wallpaper, but rather where did the cash for all that decorating come from? The concern Currently under investigation and not yet proven, is about exactly where the money came from in what's been called the Cash for Curtains row. Words like sleaze, corruption, dishonesty are all part of the argument. Political loans and donations of more than £7,500 must be declared to the watchdog but a leaked email from Tory donor Lord Brownlow reported by the Daily Mail suggested that he paid £58,000 towards the costs. Well, we'll let those investigating this hoo-ha come to their conclusions in due time. Even politicians are innocent until proven guilty. But all this talk nudges me to want to think about a quality that seems somewhat rare these days, integrity, how we live, when nobody's watching. This week, here on Lucas on Life, Integrity, right here on Premier Christian Radio.
1: Your heart's paralyzed, you're so stuck. You passed the point, you trying again. Get... You're defeated, you're defeated. There's something inside you can't.
0: Danny Gokey with Rise. The theme for our conversation tonight on, Lucas on Life is integrity. A story is told of a group of new police recruits who were attending their first day of training. The senior training officer welcomed them and then posed this scenario for their consideration. You are on duty as a policeman, policewoman, on a hot and busy day. You are nearing the end of your shift and you're very tired. As you stand on the crowded pavement talking with an elderly lady who has stopped to ask for directions, out of the corner of your eye you spot a group of men running from a shop with a salesperson in full chase shouting, stop, thieves, stop them. You excuse yourself as fast as you can and are just rushing across the street to intervene when from down the road you hear an awful crash. You spin round, and there in the middle of the street are two cars that have hit each other and a motionless motorcyclist lying on the ground next to his bike. Just as you're juggling with how to respond to this latest challenge, you hear the cry of a child from above you, and gazing up, you see the frightened face of a young boy at the open window of a fourth floor block of flats with smoke swirling around him. The training officer paused then and asked the group this question. In that situation, what would you do? There was silence in the room. Then one brave recruit raised his hand. I'd remove my uniform and merge with the crowd. There's a real danger that we do exactly that as followers of Jesus. We have to face the challenge that we can tend to be creatures of conformity. We are dedicated followers of fashion. We dress often not as we want, but as we're told. Even the accents that we use, the dialogue that we use in our conversations, we speak as we hear everybody else speak. But we are called to be different. And that doesn't mean that as Christians we're odd, but that we do live lives of integrity that stand out. I spent quite a lot of time studying the character of Daniel for my latest book, Singing in Babylon. There's a sneaky plug for it. Do go out and buy it. When I look at Daniel, I see that the Bible describes him as being faithful and trustworthy. He wasn't politically corrupt, dishonest, or negligent in the performance of his work. In fact, the Bible describes him as someone with an excellent spirit. He stood out and his life could be scrutinized. Often we Christians say, don't look at us, look at Jesus. But the truth is, Jesus is currently invisible, so people can't look at him and get a glimpse of the kingdom of God. God's plan has always been to have a people living out the big story. A working model, yes, fragile and imperfect, but a model of how life is supposed to be lived. Let's listen to Isaiah 42 in the message. I am God, the Lord says. I have called you to live right and well. I have taken responsibility for you, kept you safe. I have set you among my people to bind them to me and provided you as a lighthouse to the nations to make a start at bringing people into the open, into light, opening blind eyes, releasing prisoners from dungeons, emptying the dark prisons. I am God. You see, the Lord has called us to be a people who don't abandon uniform and mingle with the crowd, but rather are people who shine and point others to him. Here's Chris Tomlin.
2: You're a
3: good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. Love so undeniable I, I can hardly speak Peace so unexplainable I, I can hardly think as you call
0: Father from Chris Tomlinson. Integrity, that's our theme, how do we maintain it? And one way to ensure that we live lives of integrity is to be really thoughtful about our daily life decisions. Integrity surely begins there. I don't always get on that well with computers. I used to be the proud owner of a IBM Beelzebub with a 666 megahertz chip. That computer was truly a servant of Satan, sabotaging my quiet, sanctified persona. I used it to tap out my sermons, but it always used to freeze up on me when I was typing my third point about patience, and all my warm thoughts evaporated as I screamed out loud and bit the screen. Some of its occultic behavior is probably due to the fact that I've inputted some things into it that were inappropriate, like a pint of lager, for instance. Tapping away late one night, I elbowed a glass of probably the worst lubricant for computers in the world right into the keyboard. The sticky concoction gummed up the keys and the computer itself seemed to have a silly smile for weeks. Then there was the time when I was just completing a PowerPoint presentation on the laptop when the phone rang. I reached over to answer it, knocked a boiling kettle over and reduced the computer to a steaming ruin in a second. The computer actually screamed. Honest, I'm not making that up. And I joined in sympathetically with the screaming. Another trip to computer hospital, this time with a scalded, outraged machine. But my worst experience to date was the time when I accidentally formatted my hard drive, and back in those days, there was no way of reversing that procedure. I should explain this highly technical term, formatting the hard drive, to those blessedly uninitiated in such deep techno secrets. You see, formatting your hard drive is the equivalent of taking the top of your head off, removing your brain, discarding aforementioned brain forever, and then replacing the skull cap. You wipe out everything in a flash, and I don't know why I did it. I was very tired, pressed the wrong series of command keys, and instructed the computer to format itself. This would mean the destruction of every sermon ever written, the wiping out of five years of accounts, and the nuking of my diary, my calendar, for the next two years. The computer itself raised a perturbed eyebrow at my instruction and asked for confirmation of this unusual and indeed suicidal command. This was kamikaze behavior. A warning message flashed on the screen demanding confirmation of my intention to self-destruct. Are you sure? Of course I was sure. How dare you question my choices, humble laptop, pathetic machine? In a moment of unbridled insanity, my finger hovered over the Y key, again for the non-technotypes, Y in this case standing for yes. Even as I held the Y key down ever so momentarily, I realized the utter stupidity of what I'd done. The hard disk was now empty. There was no way back. Everything was history, but unrecoverable history. My reaction was, shall we say, not good. I wish I could tell you that I faced my foolishness with calm demur, murmuring, the Lord has given, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. No, I screamed Forsetto, and ran around the room at speed, bumping into furniture as I sprinted. If only I'd heeded the cautionary warning, are you sure, and had stopped. But just a moment to consider my actions. I would have saved myself months of grief. Instead, my impatient, impulsive, unthinking haste destroyed everything. And sometimes the same is true when it comes to a heady moment of temptation, and we wipe out our integrity with a terrible choice. In the heat of the moment, we find ourselves charging at a rate of knots down the mad pathway towards sin, and it is like a temporary madness. Casting aside everything that we know to be true, ignoring every Bible verse memorized and every lesson of life learned, we leap headlong into a twilight zone of half-consciousness into wrongdoing. If only there was an error message that automatically appeared before our eyes. Are you sure? Your integrity is about to be compromised. Or one of those time delay devices that they use in banks, the safe that's full of cash, will not open for 30 minutes. 30 minutes of thoughtfulness could have saved so much damage in many lives. Because how many marriages might have been saved if the would-be adulterers had taken just a few seconds to ponder the faces of their children? Or remember wedding promises made with such love and confidence? Instead of just leaping thoughtlessly, into a bed of roses that turned out to be thorns. How many lives might have been different if thoughtful, considered choices had been made, perhaps without the blurring that too much alcohol brings? How many children mowed down by drunk drivers would still be alive and laughing if only there had been a pause, a hesitation, a thought before that extra pint? How many friendships might have been spared destruction if barbed words had been held back in time for the brain to catch up with the mouth? So next time we're tempted to make a crazy compulsive leap, one that could compromise our integrity, let's stop and think for a moment. This question could save us days or even a lifetime of regrets. Are you sure? For
2: No refuge will I seek but God alone All hiding place save on at your throne Only the cross, the blood to wash my sin Only the holy, holy chair Praise for the holy all the shadow is under me.
0: Fully overshadowing by Graham Kendrick. Integrity. That's our theme. I'm Jeff Lucas, but I'm thinking about changing my name to Popeye the Sailor Man. Popeye is a cartoon character, a product, actually, of the 1930s. Played by the late, great Robin Williams in the movie version, he has a gruff voice, a very strange, giggly laugh, a clay pipe, and a passion for a rather drab-looking lady called Olive Oil with her greasy hair pulled back into a missionary bun. I never really understood the instruction. Despite his rather strange taste in women, Popeye could do most things, especially when he ate his beloved spinach. With his piston-like muscles and that versatile pipe which could even propel him into outer space, he was a sailor saviour, rescuing Olive and occasionally the world from all manner of calamities, The muscly chap also had some strange eating habits, including consuming his spinach through his pipe, which is a tad unusual and not a habit I'd recommend. Tobacco-flavored spinach. Yuck. But there was one thing that Popeye just could not do. He could not be other than what he was. He could not change. He even sang a lament about it, a sad serenade to his resignation that he was sentenced to sameness. I am what I am, and that's all I am. I'm Popeye the Sailor Man, he sang with a haunting, depressing lilt. And so, the reason for my name change from Jeff to Popeye? Simple. I realized that I had largely stopped changing. Nearly four decades of pastoral leadership has taught me this unpalatable truth people rarely change. That includes Christians. I know that statement is the opposite of the Christian message, which is not about just a few minor behavioral amendments here and there, or the creation of a sin management system. It's about the birth of a whole new species of humanity, as the newly created person in Christ, fueled by the indwelling Spirit, becomes more Jesus-like. It's a message about change, metamorphosis, which is why the question, what would Jesus do, is helpful but inadequate, Not only do we not know what Jesus would actually do in our complex world of myriad ethical choices, but we must know that the gospel calls us not just to engage in the sweaty activity of trying to be like Jesus, but rather we become like him as he progressively transforms us slowly and gradually today and tomorrow. We are called to cooperate with him and his work in us, not just chug away at change, helplessly and hopelessly. When it comes to integrity, help is not just at hand, but is vital. But the cold fact is this. Too many of us have turned into old dogs who aren't too keen on learning any new tricks, or leopards that aren't thrilled about losing those spots. That's not to say that we never did change. Conversion brings new values and therefore revises behaviour. In the flush of enthusiasm spawned by first love, we breathlessly abandon some of our old patterns of life, but some of it's only skin deep, a temporary transaction. As new Christians, we hastily trawl through our lives, declaring war on the more obvious lurid behaviors, which we rightly judge as being incompatible with Christian discipleship. But having tamed the bigger beasts, we slowly settle down and wait for the sound of a heavenly trumpet when everything will be changed in a moment, but in the meantime, not much about us changes in a decade. What was fluid turns solid, fresh turns stale. We get weary of the call to endless revising. The preacher's shrill challenges for yet more amendment and deeper commitment. It all wears us out, and so we quietly tune it out. We wonder if they will hear the sermon, the they being those that really need to hear it, which we've decided does not include us. And then some of us gradually steadily abandon our integrity living secretly bound up in the chains of addiction appetizing freedom while we languish in the chill of a cell block we believe the poisonous hiss this is just the way we are let's face it accept our sentence without too much protest that's life you're only human nothing to be done but even though this is not how we're called to live The how and the why of change are difficult to quantify. As a preacher, I so desperately want to offer seven surefire steps to transformation, preferably beginning with the same letter. This much I do know. Change begins with renewed thinking. It's not just about scrubbing up on the outside. Scripture views change as something positive. We tend to fuss about what we're not rather than dream about who we're becoming, subtraction rather than addition but we are being transformed from glory to glory, says 2 Corinthians 3.18, written by the Apostle Paul, who himself experienced personal revolution. We tend to focus on pruning. The Spirit is about producing rich, luscious fruit. And of course, change results from the supernatural inner work of the Spirit in us. True change is a sign and a wonder. So, as we think about integrity Let's know that change is not only possible, but if we follow Jesus by faith today, it's inevitable. Perhaps that truth will allow us to swing a sledgehammer at the hopelessness that can stop us in our tracks and see a crack appear in the solid mold of what we are. We can change. We can be people of integrity. And so I've changed my mind and decided against that name change. Popeye Lucas. It just sounds so wrong. And wrong it is integrity. Thanks so much for joining me tonight. Once again, I would love to hear from you, your thoughts, your comments, prayer requests. Contact me on lucasonlife at premier.org.uk. One more time, lucasonlife at I'll see you next week. Lucas on Life.